0: Well, we are continuing our series in the art of Christian living, and the sermons have been so helpful, speaking to each one of us differently, coming through the summer, talking about repentance, submission, and and work. And today we're talking about aging. And we're going to hear from a man who finds his place in Scripture in Exodus. It's Moses. Moses. And in Exodus, we find in Exodus 15 a song written by Moses after Pharaoh's army was defeated. And, and they sang that song in Exodus. And then at the other end of Scripture, like as, as a bookend, we find the song of Moses again in Revelations 15, sung by those who overcom- overcame the beast. But our text today, actually, Moses also wrote a psalm, and we find it in the middle of Scripture. Exodus Revelation, and now we're going to go to the Psalms, into the center of God's word. And since Moses lived around 1400 BC, this psalm is the oldest of the psalms. And Moses seems to be and is the first composer of sacred hymnody. He knew the holiness of God. Moses, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. He knew the forbearance and the faithfulness of God towards Israel. And thus he developed a meekness. He said it was the meekest heart in all the earth. And the Lord spoke to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting, face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Some think this psalm is inspired by the events of Numbers chapter 20 when Miriam died. Then Moses failed to obey God in the way he struck the rock. And then Aaron passed away. Miriam in the wilderness of Zin, and Aaron died on Mount Hor. So now we're coming to this psalm this morning, Psalm 90, if you turn there with me. Page 496 in the Pew Bibles, or just crack that Bible open right in the middle, close to it, and we'll come to Psalm 90. Let's stand together, and we'll hear from the Word of God. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of God. Maybe seated. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that this morning you would show your glorious power to your children, the power of the word that will prosper and transform us, that works in our hearts, that brings us into the likeness of Christ and also binds us together as a church family. Your word gives life, Lord, Impart part wisdom today. We submit to it, Willingly, we surrender to the direction and the wisdom and the truth of your word. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So the title of my sermon is Aging in the Classroom of Wisdom and Grace. I was going to title it Aging with Grace, but I thought you'd think I'm talking about Jim McDonald. And I was also going to maybe use Barbara and I as an illustration, but for some reason, we're not getting older like the rest of you. We seem to be stuck in the early 40s. But truly, aging is a reality, isn't it, in all our lives. Didn't COVID show us that? We didn't see each other for a while, and all of a sudden, when we came back together, we were looking a little older, a little different. <laughs> A little taller for some of the Jones boys. And then, and I, my mind goes to the Star Wars saga, too, when we can look over maybe 25 years, we can see Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford get older right in front of our eyes. The reality of aging in so many ways, God impress upon our hearts. This, the, the reality of this life and the reality of getting older. So my sermon overview would be this. We're going to look at a portrait and a profile, and then in the center of the psalm, a pause, and then a prayer, and in that prayer, a pruning. So we'll start with a portrait, and this beautiful verse one, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. It's, it's, it's a portrait that Barb and I saw in a bookstore one time, it was a, a farmhouse, and and some fields, and just those words, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. And of course, it resonated with me on our farm, and thinking about five generations that have farmed on that piece of land. My great-grandparents died in the farmhouse. My dad's parents lived and died there. My mom passed away there within hours. And and here, here we are, even four generations of our farm here today at church. And not all behaving, by the way. (laughs) But anyways, Lord has been our dwelling place as a family for all generations. Psalm 103 was my grandmother's favorite psalm. She said, here's the the land and, and the wind passes over it and its place remembers it no more. The same fields, the same orchards, generation after generation. But what those fields, those orchards remember that generation no more. The wind passes over it, and they're gone. But the beautiful second part of that verse in Psalm 103 was, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. But I also like to just draw our attention to the fact that that portrait is also a portrait of us. Right here in this church, the Lord is our dwelling place in all generations, just in prayer this week, Barbara and I just praying over our church family. We're just mindful of the impact of life and aging and and brokenness in so many of our families, and how much we need this refuge of God. I'm thinking of uh, I thought of Dorothy Mitchell's passing and the generation she represented. That some are still here and some have gone, but we're so vital in this church family and still has an impact on on all of us and so Dorothy's family here James and Ruth and and Mitch and then we got little Sarah we're praying for Nora and so in that family in all generations we need a refuge don't we the same refuge for Dorothy same refuge for Nora and when we're praying for Nora have we not been praying for Noah and, and Noah is what that need. And to think of the generations, the impact on Utah and Alyssa and his brothers. And then the, the wonderful gift that he's brought, Grandma and Grandpa, to our church too. So I'm thinking just, just a picture and just a few of our families of this beautiful portrait that the Lord is our dwelling place for this church family. All of our generations, the Lord has embraced us bearing burdens together, looking to the Lord together. In our brokenness, pain, frailty, and poverty, we have one Lord, one refuge, and one hope for all of us. When I think of that refuge, I think of Moses being tucked into the cleft of the rock in Exodus 33, and the Lord passed by. Just that refuge that the Lord passed by in his goodness and and allowed Moses to see his glory. And we sing that, don't we, rock of ages, cleft, For us. The anchor of this psalm is this verse. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. So that's a portrait I want us to remember from this psalm. This is where we are in the refuge of God's keeping. And then we're going to look at a profile, and we're seeing that in verse 2 and 3. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you return man to dust, say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. So before the mountains were brought forth, we see this, this beautiful eternity of God. A.W. Tozer uses this verse when he, in his Attributes of God book to describe the eternity of God from everlasting past to everlasting future. He is God. God is not in time. Time began in God, and God will end, and time will end in God. Time does not affect God at all. He dwells in an everlasting now. He has no past or future. A thousand years is but as yesterday, like a watch in the night. And we remember in Isaiah that the one who is high and lifted up, whose name is holy, he inhabits eternity. He's the great I am, the God of creation and over creation to the point where he is a God also of wrath and returns man in his sin to dust. The second profile I would like to show is in the larger section, verses 3 to 10. It's, it's man, the profile of man. So God exalted in his profile, man is humbled in these verses. And first thing we see is our mortality. We're perishable. And all these things in this profile, I think, in a sense, we all deny. We are in denial, aren't we? That we are actually mortal, we're not immortal, invisible, God only wise, we're not God, are we? But Adam and Eve sought that equality. So we deny that, and that was a result of the curse, wasn't it? You're from the dust, and you're going to end up returning to dust. The wisest, strongest, bravest return to dust. The evidence is all around us, the mortality of man. And that is something, I don't know when you came to terms with that, because I think we all do at some point, but for me, it was like in the early 20s. It was just physical symptoms that were coming upon me from anxiety that were really, really worrisome and serious. And I thought, I could die. It was a true life crisis for me. And do you know what my first thought was? I wonder what others will be thinking if I die. What will people say? What happened to Terry? And and it just goes to show you that when we're our own God, And there's a fear of man there. And and that's what, what I went through in my unhealth spiritually. I was actually thinking horizontally, what would people think if something happened to me? And I turned to different things like relaxation techniques. Wayne's girlfriend at the time did biofeedback, so I tried something like that. Or a long hot bath. You know, how to deal with anxiety. But I was in a prison And there was no way out. I had no answers, and it was so humbling for me. So our mortality and imminent death is something we come to terms with. Man is mortal. You return man to dust. We are not God. We're a creature created by God and under God's rule. And also in this this profile of man, we see that life is short. And I think that's also something we deny. I think for a certain season of life, we think we're immune to aging and death. But the the, the scripture says here, we're brought to an end by God's anger and wrath. We're like a, a sleep. We're like a dream. David would write, we're like a passing shadow. I was thinking of, a, of an airplane passing over sometimes. And just by our place, it, whoop, it goes and you see a shadow of a plane go by and that it's gone. A passing shadow, just that quick. That's how short our life is. David also says it's a few hand breaths, like just a short little length. And I think if we hear the testimony of our older saints, they would say they blink twice and they've gone from youth to old age. Seven or eight decades, nine, ten, or eleven. Soon, more is behind us than there is in front of us, and then it's over. Life is short. We are like grass. I think this summer, like just like I'm cutting the grass all the time at the farm. Like it's it's pretty rainy this year, but just it grows, it's cut. It grows, it's cut. That's our life. It flourishes, it withers. It flourishes, it withers. Do you know that that metaphor for the shortness of life was used by Peter, Isaiah, David, and here, Moses. And always in contrast to this profile of the everlasting God, the living and abiding word which lives forever. We're mortal. Our life is short. And then in the profile of of man, we're also sinners. And we're in denial of that too, I believe. Steeped in self-righteousness we can be very much oblivious to our sin. And in a sense, in our unbelief, we disdain the God of the Bible and the truth of his word because it kind of ruins our party. Isn't that our culture today, isn't it? That in our own self-righteousness and exaltation, we actually have no place for God. In his wrath, though, he expelled us from the garden so that we might not eat of the tree of life. We are sinners, brought to an end by his anger. Our iniquities and secret sins are not hidden from God. And what's our boast, regardless of how long we live? We might say, hey, this is, look what I've accomplished. i got some, some age, and, and this is such a blessing. But the boast is what? Toil and trouble. No matter the number of years, we're soon gone, gone and we fly away. So Moses' words are meant to awaken us. Death awaits. Life is short. Sin has dominion. So I would ask you, have you considered your death, your mortality, your secret sins, and so very little time to come to terms with it? What if you died today? There's good news that the Bible brings us. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, what? Should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it's Jesus that brings the the pressing questions and answers to those questions in our heart. And what did he accomplish? He defeated the one who keeps us in bondage of that fear of death. We've been held in bondage through sin in fear of death, by the evil one, but Christ came to set us free. So would you call on him? Call on the Lord who came in love for you. And then we come to the center of the song, of the psalm, which I say it's a pause. It says, as we call on him, I think Moses is saying the same thing here, would you consider him? Consider Christ. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of God? So instead of denying God's glory and exalting ourselves, we're here now to declare God's glory and his holiness. Michael Reeves wrote a book, Rejoice and Tremble, on this topic, on the fear of God, and just brings out simple verses like this. With you there's forgiveness that you might be feared. Psalm 130 And when they were looking Israel to coming back from exile, Jeremiah writes this. So God says through Jeremiah, they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity that I will provide for Judah. Hosea writes as well, they shall come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So the fact that we can fear God and see God for who he is, I believe that's the beginning of faith, it's the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, this regeneration, God coming upon our dark, sinful, mortal, short lives and revealing his goodness to us. We fear God. The true fear of the Lord is on account of his goodness, on account of his forgiveness. It's the beginning of true life that we might pause and consider God and the fear of the Lord. And then we come to the prayer of the psalm, verses 12 to 17, this closing prayer. So teach us, Moses says. So now we're coming into a place where these petitions of the prayer, which addresses aging and the reality of our brokenness, and, and the, just the cry that we might say to God, O oh Lord, come and teach us. Psalm 25 says this Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. It was hard to read those early verses in Psalm 90 without being humbled. And in humility, we look to God with a healthy fear of the Lord, and God teaches the humble. We sing that, don't we? Teach us, Lord, full obedience holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your glory. So we're coming into the Lord's presence in humble teachableness that we can pray to him, teach us because we're coming as learners. We're wanting to hear from God. And, and that's also Mo- Moses' legacy in meekness, receiving the commandments of God and so Sensitive to what those commandments meant to Israel. So the first thing we would say, Lord, teach us to do what? To number our days. True life is not numbers of days, but numbers of numbered days. I believe this is nearly the biblical definition of age. From that regeneration onward, it's these numbered days that that our age in light of a relationship with God. So aging itself now has become a classroom. So we should also number our days because God has numbered them. Psalm 139 said in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. The sovereignty of God, and in his sovereignty, he has numbered our days. Specific days, days given to us by his grace to learn, So in the the pattern of God himself, numbering our days, we are called here and inspired to number those days. James would say, we shouldn't be looking to the future. That's arrogant boasting, but instead, instead we should say, if the Lord wills, we shall live. Again, it's similar to that numbered days. So young people, the time is now to come to the Lord in fear of him, in light of his goodness, and start to number your days, precious days, not that many, just this passing shadow, a few amount of days that God's given us, that we might do what? In these short number of days, gain a heart of wisdom. Just all in that verse 12, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. So it's a classroom to learn wisdom all through Scripture, that's what, what that phrase is: "Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." In the Proverbs, Solomon's way, the beginning of wisdom is also this: get more wisdom. Wisdom's the principal thing. Also in the Proverbs, it says that before the mountains were brought forth, and before the hills were shaped, I was with the Lord," says wisdom. So when we say getting wisdom, we're getting something that in our mortality we can get something eternal, the eternal wisdom of God. Paul would write, Christ is for us wisdom from God. So a little bit again, I surrender all what to your wisdom. So in these short number days, in this classroom of our aging, we are compelled to seek and ask God for wisdom and that we might gain it, we might get that heart. Growing up into Christ, and like David was a man after God's own heart. And, and, and now we have this heart from God, which is compelled to seek him. So let's cry out for it. Seek it. We're not in an idle classroom waiting for recess. This is a classroom of numbered, day, numbered days, and each day is, is pl- applying wisdom to us. There's nothing dull in this classroom, is it? Is there? The classroom of life, the classroom of our aging. Nobody's going to fall asleep in this class. And, and in a beautiful way, in light of that verse 1, it's a one-room schoolhouse. The classroom of aging is like the old one-room schoolhouse. My dad's picture is still down in Huttville. All the age groups there are in, in one room. And... and I think Dad was front and center, if I remember. But that one-room schoolhouse is for all generations. And, and what a thought is that we're learning together. So this portrait right here of all generations together, we're in a schoolhouse. It's a school of wisdom. And aging is part of what God uses to teach us. And we're in that classroom together. And the day begins in our, this classroom with early morning worship. Worship. It says in, in the compassion of verse 13, we're going to verse 14, satisfies in the morning with your steadfast love that we may do what? Rejoice. This schoolroom, room, this classroom, as we're getting older together, as generations come together, we are doing what? We're worshiping God. The day begins with early morning worship to the God who can do what? Satisfy our soul. Regardless of what we're going through, It is well with our soul that that we might be glad. And is that not our song? He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I'm going to rejoice because he's made me glad. That's right here in Psalm 90. Or we sing this, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow, I know he's watching me. There is rejoicing in the house of the Lord. Better is one day in this house than a thousand elsewhere. And what do we have to bring to the classroom? We don't have to bring anything. Everything is provided in this classroom of our aging. David says, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their children begging for bread. God's provision never fails. And, and even to the point where we, we say he has given us himself. There's a beautiful song right now with the, uh, it's the Gettys, I think. In the valley, bless the Lord, for the Lord gives us peace in the valley and he gives us himself. He has provided everything We need, we need. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. So he also follows us with his goodness and mercy. In this classroom, regardless of our need, regardless of our age, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How long? All the days. All of the numbered days God's goodness and mercy shall follow me. And in the, in the schoolroom we we need to bring the question that's on our heart. And we can do that at all times. Because David also writes this, The one thing I've desired, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of the Lord. We got questions all the time, don't we? When we went through the book of Job, Lord, this suffering doesn't make sense. Where do we bring that question? Suffering doesn't make sense. There's hardship in my life. Or where do we bring the question of when everything's falling down around us, like in Judges, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, when the culture seems to push God completely out because of their desires? Where do we bring that question, Lord? How can we serve you in this day? In our culture, how can I deal with this suffering that doesn't seem to make sense? All the numbered days of our life, we can bring these questions to God. Moses himself was in this classroom. In Hebrews, we read that he was hidden for three months by his parents. They saw that he was a beautiful child. And when he became of age, when he was growing older, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected his Egyptian heritage, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And that's a little bit what we see there. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. So Moses himself chose to identify with the people of God and suffer affliction with, with, with those people rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So that what's fleeting and and the sinfulness and that the Moses knew, like, that's a passing pleasure, that's something to reject, but he's gonna lay hold of God. It says, he esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater riches than those of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. In this classroom, there's an end coming. In this eternal God has pointed us towards eternity. So as we're aging, we're thinking of, like, being with Moses, looking to the reward. That's coming for us. Fearing God, not man. Confessing sin. Looking to the eternal. Moses endured by seeing him who is invisible. Even Jesus grew in wisdom. He was in a classroom. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And he was just a young man then. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Hebrews says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for us. So, also in this prayer, we're moving down let your work be shown to your servants. So it's hands-on learning in this class, and it's God's hands on us. And it's, I go to John 15, where Jesus said, I'm the true vine, my father's a vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away, but every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Bringing the knife to the branches of the trees. Spurgeon would say when he was looking at them pruning a vineyard, he said, I wondered what would be left when they were finished. He said, there was nothing left but a few dry stems and knuckles. But the best vines, they told Pastor Spurgeon, are cut back the most because they, they yield the sweetest grapes. And is not the effect of aging, we say in this classroom, God's pruning, shaping us through trials, through aging, diminishing eyesight. Diminishing hearing, diminished mobility, diminished memory. Yet in that John 15, what does Jesus say during this pruning? Just keep abiding in me. Stay in that refuge that I'm providing for you. Abide in my love and let my words abide in you. It's the word, isn't it, that you're clean because of the word. The true purging is by the word of God. And Jesus said, even in that difficult place of aging, my joy will be with you. So he gives us a song. And one of the blessings of that chapter as well is that our fruit will remain. It's something to get our head around in this brief life. There actually can be something that will remain, will be eternally significant. The psalm says, man is his pomp will not remain, but what we've done for Christ. Our labors in the Lord are not in vain. So So we might give ourselves to eternal fruit and have the joy of seeing that take place in our church, in our families. Moses says, show your glorious power to the children the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. The psalmist says, From my youth you've taught me, and I'm going to proclaim your wondrous deeds even to old age and gray hairs. God, don't forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. So Lord, through us, through the testimony, show your glorious power to the next generation. Psalm 92, we're still bearing fruit in old age, ever full of sap, ever green. There's treasure in jars of clay, revealing God's radiant glory and faithfulness. So I would like to encourage all of us, especially the younger generations, to to realize the testimonies of our senior saints are such a gift from God. God is imparting us the gift of their wisdom those who have gone through trials, those whose faith has been tested. In this intergenerational classroom, let's lay hold of the wisdom of the senior saints. Let, have your own God at work moment with a senior. Don't wait for the video. Get along alongside one of our seniors and inquire. Inquire in that refuge, learning from one another. Ask for wisdom. Ask for prayer. Speak as friend to friend as Moses spoke with God. Brother to brother, sister to sister. And he will establish the work of our hands upon us. So establishing this work of our hands, God's work, let your work be shown, but now, Lord, establish our work. And think of these commandments, to care for one another, to wash one another's feet, bear one another's burden. These are the ways of those who are wise, the ways of those who number their days, who fear the Lord. And I love the title. Moses said, show your work, Lord, to your servants. Serving God, serving one another, created in Christ Jesus for good works were his workmanship. So let's live each day with eternity in sight. And this portrait that's taking shape is incredible. Let's take it in what God is doing in all generations in this church family. And I come to Moses' last words to Israel. In Deuteronomy 33, they were on the border of the promised land, and Moses, nearly in a summary of this song, says these words, "'The eternal God is your dwelling place, "'and underneath are the everlasting arms. "'So happy are you, O Israel, a people saved by the Lord.'" dwelling in safety in a land full of grain and wine. And then he went to Nebo in Moab, Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, Judah, Ephraim. And it was there that Moses died, 120 years old, It said, his eyes were undimmed, his vigor unabated. And the word of the Lord came to him, and the Lord buried him in a valley in Moab. And no one knows the place of his burial. So when God showed him on the top of Pisgah, looking into Canaan, what did he see? Did he see Jerusalem? Do you think he might have saw a coming Messiah who came to dwell among us. The Lord's our dwelling place, but the Lord sent his Son to dwell here. Christ came. Matt read that in the call to worship. John 1.14, to dwell with us. Did did Moses see a cross? Moses was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Him and Elijah with the Lord Jesus talking about what his, his coming death His decease? Did he see an empty tomb? Death defeated, sin atoned for? Do you think he heard a song? I'm just going to read a few verses in Revelation 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. All nations will come and worship you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. So, do you think Moses heard that song being sung? That new song, no more days of affliction, no more years of evil that he mentioned in Psalm 90? But a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And a loud voice came and it said, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God.